This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Jen Paquette. And our guest today is Tamsin Silver. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So in drinking with author swag, you get this for being on the show, by the way. I am drinking um, some Jack Daniels and this Q ginger ale because when I bought it at the store, it said um, it will make my drink. It even says it on the can spectacular. I haven't tasted it yet, so I'm not sure if it lives up to all this, but supposedly it's going to make my drink spectacular. Wait, we'll see how that not goes. just fantastic spectacular. no it's a spectacular with spectacular ginger ale it repeated spectacular why would one do that because anyway, it is spectacular the founder jordan says cheers to me so thank you jordan <laughs> who didn't sponsor anything so that's all you get okay jen what are you drinking i'm drinking earl gray tea because i'm boring but in a jack skellington mug so there's well, that Wait, I appreciate. Can, can we see if I move? You can see my little Jack. I've got him back. I see, I see him. Yes, that's awesome. I have, I have a pirate Jack behind me somewhere. Oh, nice. I have a there. I have a whole setup in my room where I bought. So they make these really amazing coffins that are bookcases, and they paint on them. And I have a Jack Skellington one that hangs on my wall with figures. And yeah, that's my super nerd. Not only that, but we'll oh, we'll take this up for just oh. a second. You have the, oh, I'm so jealous. We won't talk about what that cost. No, I've seen. Look, I've look seen. how cool it is. Congratulations, proud owner. <laughs> right? It comes with this authentication certificate. I was like, yeah, authentically that I'm crazy that I spent that much money on a <laughs> clock. It's beautiful. But it is. And I, I specifically, when I moved into the house and set this up, I'm like, I will be buying that clock. It is going to go there. So yeah, it was specifically bought for that space. Love it. Well, now that we've gotten that far on Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. We squirrel on this podcast. By the way, I don't know if this is spectacular, but it's pretty good. I don't know that I'd rank it spectacular, but it's very good, Jordan. Thank you. Let's um, see how it goes as you drink more of it. No, that that will be the Jack Daniels assisting me in the process. Um. Tamsin, what are you drinking? Um, I have got some whiskey this evening, and that looks like about two fingers full. And I know for a fact that when I drink all this in a shorter amount of time, it, the end of this podcast will be way more entertaining than the beginning of this podcast. Um, but this is what it is. Skyer, screwball. Screwball. Screwball peanut butter whiskey. Yeah. Peanut butter whiskey? Shut the front door. It's fantastic. Um, I was in Colorado and event, I was at a tiny home uh, event and uh, the bartender at the hotel was like, you should really try this. I'm like, I'm not, a mis- I'm not a whiskey person so much all the time. And she's like, no, no, 
trust me. And so she, she goes, we'll do it as a peanut butter and jelly shot. So what she did is she poured a shot of this and then a shot of like, you know, the squeezies you add to your drinks to make them flavored. She had a yeah. grape one and she put only a little, little bit of water in just to, and so what you did is you did a shot of this and then chased it with, I was like, pour me, pour me that beverage. Make, make so, more of make those more. things now. Right? Where's this? Yeah. So I got home and I bought a bottle. Um, this is my third bottle I've had, but it's been a year. So I don't drink often. I just, if I'm going to drink, I drink what I want to drink. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I would like to say I don't drink often, but that would be a lie. So as people who listen to this podcast know, that would make me a liar, liar, pants on fire. So for it's those that may not call. know, <laughs> um, Hamson, what do you write? Um, so I write a little bit of urban fantasy. That's where I started really was urban fantasy. Uh, but I write, uh, my focus recently has been more historical fantasy and um, people have asked, you know, is that alternate history? Is it secret history? And, you know, I do a lot of panels at Dragon Con on the alternate history track. And the more I thought about it, though, I was like, oh, I actually write secret history. <laughs> so what I do is I write stuff so that the history is exact as I can possibly get it. And if I've changed something, I find a way so that basically most of the people wouldn't know, like if someone was supposed to be dead, but they live, I've still faked their death. We're still doing something else. So that anything, if, if, if all of the magic and everything that I've created is believed, this could be the real history uh, and the real reason for everything that happened. So that is, so I write secret history stuff. I like to keep the history as exact as I can, because, you know, what's writing without a lot of stress and research? Ah, uh, well, the writing that I do. <laughs> I don't you, research that much. You kill people. You have to research methods for that. I do research how long it will take bodies to decompose in certain circumstances. I am completely screwed from an FBI watch list perspective and local. Oh, it too. will not be good. And I don't do that. You know, people are like, use an incognito window. By the way, world, that doesn't work. So, yeah. Um, the only thing that can help you with sometimes is plane flight. If you're looking at multiple plane flights. Yeah, that can help you with that. Okay. So I think that is awesome. Um, and I, I love that, you know, you're basically not trying to shove it into a genre because it crosses multiple genres, which is fantastic yes. because we should be crossing multiple genres. That's just how we should be existing in this world. Instead of like, I only write historical fiction, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you so, have, sorry. No, go ahead. Interjection queen. Go Interjection. It. It's my internet is slow. I think that's what's happening. Liar. Um, do you have, do you have like a favorite, like what's your favorite part of history or part? Like what, where do you, where do you like to go in terms of history, part of the world or time period? Uh, 1800s. Okay. 1800s is kind of my wheelhouse. Um, specifically the late 1800s. Um, so I write, uh, the historical fantasy that I write is revolves around the Lincoln County War, which is Billy the Kid and all that history from 1878 to 1881 when Garrett shoots him. 
Um, but I also write in the 1940, in 1949, 1950. Um, uh, so the, the three-book series is actually woven together in the two time periods because it's the same protagonist, it's the same bad guy. We just are dealing with two different time periods um, and one feeds into the other. Uh, so uh, Billy the Kid is the main character throughout the entire series. Uh, and he is, and I, I've, I really fell in love with his story more so than I did with history. Um, it, it's interesting to me because my, my actual urban fantasy that I write, there's a lot of historical things that I throw in there that are actually based on real fact. Um, the Windfire series has um, a situation where they talk about this eruption of this volcano and what it caused and who really did it. And that's real. It's completely, and I loved doing that. So I don't know how it took me years to realize that what I really wanted to do was write secret history. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I fell in love with the story and the, the idea of Lincoln County War and how we never really learned about it in school because I didn't grow up in New Mexico. And um, I was just fascinated at a lot of the things I found. And so I got fixated on that time period. And I came out to New Mexico to do research because I was living in New York City at the time. And oh, wow. I came, and it sucked and, you in. Oh, so you know the saying <laughs> here, right? Uh, so um, it's the on everybody's license plate here, it says land of enchantment. Uh, what we all actually call it is land of entrapment. And um, that's because people visit and then they move here and I'm no different. Um, I came out and did research for like four days, felt like I didn't get enough, came back nine months later, did two weeks where I saw a lot more of the state. By the time I got on my flight back to New York City, I fully believed I was heading on vacation for, and leaving home. And so I was like, oh no, this is where I'm moving. And I'd known for a few years that I would be leaving New York. I just didn't know where I was needed and where I needed to go. And uh, so I was like, oh, this is, this is, I'm coming here. So, um, and I haven't regretted it. Um, I've been here for five, almost six years now, I think. Uh, I moved in 2017. Uh, and a lot of people will be like, oh, you know this. I'm like, look, I moved here. I was getting my bearings. And then all of a sudden, pandemic. So I've been indoors for a couple of years. So I don't know as much about the town that I'd like to. So I'm looking forward to doing more exploring as things are loosening up here. Have you been to the balloon fiesta? Oh yeah. I actually have a couple of friends who own balloons who fly them there and I, and I crew for them when I, when they need me. So I got to crew for the 50th one. That was really cool. It is. I, I'm, I have sworn to my children who are now adults that I'm taking them there. And I was, we were going to go do that this year. And um, my grandbaby was born and my daughter said, can we wait till she's a little older? So she remembers it. And I'm like, absolutely. But there is nothing like seeing a thousand hot air balloons in the air. There's nothing like it. There's truly. And I, first I thought, well, you know, I, there were people who lived here all their lives who, when it happens, they're like, oh, it's balloon fiesta. And I'm just like, it's balloon fiesta. And, and I thought my, I'm like, is it because I knew uh, and then I had some people go, no, I still love to see all the balloons in the air and take photos. And there's just like some people are just over it because they don't like the tourism. And I was like, live in New York City for 16 years. This tourism is nothing. I was going to say, um, uh, Jen lives uh, outside of Tampa in Clearwater, which is near the, you know, the spring break 
capital of Florida now <laughs> oh, is no. Clearwater. And I lived down there too for before I moved up here to New Me- uh, North Carolina, New Mexico, same thing. And then um, totally different. But you want to talk about tourism, like yeah. it's listen, Albuquerque, rein it in. You don't understand what tourism looks like. They don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't get it. It's fine though. Um, I, I mean, like, you know, for them, it's a lot and there's more traffic and, and I'm lucky I get to, with my day job, I get to work from home for most of the days of the week. So I don't, I don't have to deal with all the crazy, um, uh, my first year living here though, I did. And I was like, oh yeah, this is more traffic, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. So what, when did you start writing? Let's time travel. When did you begin? Um, so I think I started writing in high school. Um, I hand wrote and I, I still have the thing. It, it's, it's horrible, but I have it. <laughs> um, I hand wrote a, um, a mystery, like a murder mystery. Um, I'm, I have ADD uh, and it's more ADD than ADHD. Um, I need to do something while I'm listening to someone very often. Um, and in my senior year of college, I finally discovered that drawing ribbons and doing things is the best thing. But in high school, I was, I started writing, I started writing a book because I'm like, oh, so it was killing me. And um, so I wrote that. So that probably, so I guess the age of 17. Um, I also, we had a, oh God, here we go. Let's, let's age me. So I used to go to our basement in Michigan and write on our electric typewriter. Hey, I learned how to type on a typewriter. So did yep. Jen. We're yep. fine. We, yep. we had to use whiteout. We know what that's oh like. Oh, I yeah. dare anybody who's a millennial to even understand what whiteout is. When, yep, when, right? when the first electric typewriter had a little screen, I was like, this is so cool. I had like, one of those in college. Yeah. Yep. For college, I had a word processor mm-hmm. that was portable. It looked, like a, it looked like a typewriter, except it had a little gray window. Mm-hmm. And you could see only this much. And so when you're trying to check everything, the fact, and then you could set it and it would print, like you'd have to put the next page in. And, and that's how I got through college. Uh, I don't think I owned a computer that that could have saved something to print until I was teaching school. You know, that's how it is. I remember my first computers. I had a Commodore 60. It's fine. But like going PC Junior. Yeah. Like, and then I had one of the apples that was the, like the rectangle on the side whatever apple one two i don't remember yeah it was um it was black and white it was taller than it was wide and the little screen was at the top is it yeah. this big and that my mom bought one of those when i was in high school and so because she was trying to write a book at the time and uh, so i come by this honestly and um and so i would go in on like i'm an only child and so if it was a rainy day in the summer i was like so what's this thing do turned it on was like poke and I taught myself how to use that thing and how to use McPaint and played with it remember when it was called McPaint um <laughs> yeah yep so, I remember yeah, so. having to go to the DOS prompts to yeah. find yes like we we could go down a whole In text error we go to a whole tech yeah yeah um but yeah so I started writing short stories in the basement and I, and I started writing books um by hand and I always keep saying someday I'm going to translate that into a much better novel. Uh, we'll see if that happens or if I just continue to move it from house to house with me, state to state. 
Well, you know, it's very funny because this came up actually in another pod, uh, another one of the recordings. Um, Chuck Gannon, you know, Charles Gannon, the sci-fi writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wrote um, a a fantasy realm based on a book he wrote when he was 14. And he took the characters and the premise, like it's obviously not the book he wrote when he was 14, but he took the, all the stuff from it and then remade his book. Cause he was like, he was so in love with that story. It just needed to have the right timing to be revamped into something not terrible. Yeah. So it's funny because when I finished writing it, I literally was like, what happened to so-and-so? Like I realized there's a character earlier in the story that just drops off i was like mm, we'll have to write her death we'll have to write her death scene sometime she's <laughs> lingering on page 134 just like where does she go what am i doing like if if it was a cartoon she'd just be like going mm-hmm. they so, yeah. forgot about me they forgot yeah. me so the, yeah, i will the, eventually have to do that the purgatory of misplaced characters that would be a really funny story actually the purgatory of misplaced characters the waiting room where they're all just kind of hanging out hanging out going hey i so know like to, where, where, where do you belong mm-hmm. well i was i was literally in the middle of a yeah <laughs> i i thought i was gonna I die in the next yeah scene, i'm gonna die no in idea. the next part maybe i want to stay in here we should have two characters in there fall in love that's what i would write I know that's what you would write. And there'd be a happy ending because uh, Jen always needs a happy ending. Okay. So when did you first publish then? Um, So I wrote a book during college, uh, which is now my Windfire series. Um, And again, by hand, because, and um, it got put away. And then eventually I, I, had typed it up and printed it. And that turned out to be the only copy I had. I couldn't pull it up on any of my floppy disks. And um, it was just sitting there and I got published in 2011. Many, that's a long time after when I wrote things. And what it was is that, God help me. uh, So I have my writing career. I need to thank Twilight. So what happened, I, I know it hurts. Um, so what happened is this, uh, let me, let me explain. Uh, so I got out of what work early. What had happened was. What had happened was I got out of work early and I had nothing else to do. And everybody was talking about this vampire, vampire movie. And so I was like, it was day one of it releasing. It was Friday. I was one of only, I think I was maybe the only person in the theater because it was an afternoon showing of the first movie. Um, and I was like, I'll just take myself to theater in New York. And I went and saw it. And, um, and I realized that the reason I went to go see it was because I was worried someone was going to write my story Ah. and that I was going to, my story would be, somebody would write something similar and it would be, and I was like, you know, if you're really worried about it, (laughs) maybe you should work on that and get it done. Um, and then I was running a theater company in New York city at the time and we hit the recession and the theater company took a huge hit. We've been doing really well. And so we'd taken a gamble, of course, <laughs> and was doing something very different. Um, and it just didn't bring in the money. And so, and it was around the same time that my AD was getting married and the other person in my company was going to quit her day job and try to do acting full time. So we all had reasons and we all just kind of went, you know what, let's take time off. 
And that's when I said, all right, I'll take two years. We'll see if I can get an agent or a manager or published or something. And this was right around the time self-publishing was starting to get its go. And uh, eBooks were now a thing. It was in the past year. And I got picked up by a publishing house out of Texas, a small press out of Texas. Um, and so uh, they published me first, and that would have been in October of 2011. Um, I ended up taking my rights back from them a year later uh, because I just didn't, I didn't like the editing on it. And I wanted to redo them as YA. Uh, they also weren't doing much for me in regard to publicity. And I'm like, if I'm going to do all this, then I want the cut financially. So I had them re-edited and rebranded and did everything different with them and released them. And that's the Windfire series that's out. So, um, but originally it was something different um, and that would be 2011. And that's the longest answer to a simple question ever. No, I thank you for taking us on that journey. We, we went <laughs> but, with but you. We, but we didn't find out about Twilight how your book this. relates to I know. Twilight. <laughs> Which is funny in a very weird way right and I mean I left there going yeah no nothing like I'm doing um but I have to say though I was I really as much as we make fun of sparkly vampires um it's an ingenious idea like it really is like I'm not a huge fan of it I make fun of it in other books of mine um and uh but it's it's an ingenious idea like it justifies things in a way that's different and I can't say it doesn't work because it does, but I've also directed a bunch of Shakespeare and done it in different time periods and justified things in different ways. So, well, I think that, you know, part of it is, I don't think Twilight's good um, literature, right? I I do think it's way better than Fifty Shades of Complete Bullshit. Um, okay. uh, but I think that, you know, she was at a time when, the young adult thing started to, you know, hit its stride. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that success for everybody, you know, and I could only have that success, please. Yeah. I'm quite sure if we all reached that level of fame, people would be having these conversations about our books and going, you know, Erica always kills people all the time. She did that. You know, I'm sure that would be the conversation that's had. And so, I, I I think it's yeah. I'm I'm glad she inspired you to get there. But um does this mean now you're fully self-published or no, no. Um so I was I had gone, I became self-published in 2012. Um and I um from there I decided that I stuck with that for a while. Um it wasn't until I did the Billy the Kid stuff that I was like, you know what, I'd like to try and get this one into a larger press. And I mean, it's Billy the Kid. It it will sell well. It's it's one of those. And I was like, okay. So I was trying. I even had an in with people at tour, and they were like, mm, it's not really what we're looking for right now. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but I got that from a lot. I got I had so many rejections of this is fantastic, but we're not taking it. <laughs> like I got so many of those. Um, and I actually had had paid Melissa MacArthur, amazing editor, to edit the first two books because that's what I'd written. I'd written it as a, I'd actually written it as one long novel, uh, which is now books one and two of the series. And it, um, and I was submitting it as clean as I could get it. You know what I mean? Like I was told we'll take and take a look at it, and I cleaned it. So it wasn't that. 
Um, and uh, I just found I was hitting walls. And um, I reached out to Faith Hunter and was talking to her about it. And I said, um, I'm having some trouble. And she's like, it's not you. <laughs> there at that time, they were not taking uh, any new people. They just weren't. They were sticking with their usuals and going from there. Um, and, uh, and so, unless it was like some spark of something random and I was like, and at that same time, so Melissa MacArthur at the time worked with Falstaff and, uh, Falstaff books. And she told John, we want this. If she doesn't find, I guess I found out later she did this, that she came up to John's like, if Tamsin can't find someone to take this, we want this. And so when I was having trouble and I told Melissa, she's like, we'll take it. I'm like, what? She's like, we'll take it. And so I, when I talked to Faith, I said, you know, what do you think? She goes, John will never stop pushing your book. He does tons of conventions. He'll take your book. He won't ever stop supporting you as long as it's selling. Um, and he's, you know, and it's a fair shake. He, he really does care about his authors, which I knew anyway, I've known John since college. And so, um, so I ended up publishing through Falstaff. So, and at the time, I think Falstaff originally obviously started as a small press, but I, I can't even call them that anymore. If you know anything about the size oh, of no, Falstaff. I know because yeah. uh, we have four horsemen publications. We're a similar size to Falstaff, like author wise yeah. and stuff. And there's a lot of us like them that are coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, to go, hi, we're going to do this differently. And he's yeah. one of the ones that it's like, we're going to do this differently. Yeah. So I appreciate that thoroughly from him. Yes. The, this is not a, like a Highlander. There can be only one. There needs to be many, many of us doing yes. this because right. we're all going to find different authors, you know, and different right. stories. And I think it's fantastic, it but that is awesome. Yeah. So that's how I end up. And what's great is that because it is a, I, I call them a medium sized press. I mean, he's got New York Times bestsellers that he has their books. So I, I kind of, and their catalog's ridiculous. Um, but because it's not self published, because of who prints them, um, Barnes and Noble, where I work one day a week for fun and giggles and discount, um, they are able to carry my book. And so, um, so yeah. So, and it's been interesting to watch what could have been. Um, I did a signing the other day at Barnes and Noble on a Saturday afternoon. It was the normal busy. It wasn't like extended, uh, super busy or anything. And I sold like 13, 13 books that day. And usually people sell when they're selling their, their book and they're there. They sell maybe two or three. If they're lucky, five. Lucky, five. So the fact that I sold like 12 to 13 books, I was like, so, no, and, and, so yeah. And it, it's, it's still not too late to have that happen. And that's one of the things when it comes, um, I love that Barnes and Noble is changing its philosophy. We talk about that a lot now. Um, kudos to the CEO who is changing it to go, we're not going to be under contract with Simon and Schuster anymore and be forced to take books nobody wants to read. So they can hit the New York Times bestseller list because that's what how they do it, how they hit the number of books. Because New York Times bestseller list is about seven grand and a bunch of books have to be purchased, right? Mm -hmm. So 
It's so much when you open the hood of this particular car, it's not pleasant what's under that hood sometimes that you see, you know, Um, but I love that you can um, that you can get that. And a lot of independent authors, I don't just don't think realize what the the metrics is and or can afford the metrics because you have to give about a 50 to 55 percent discount on the books and you have to allow returns. And the allowing returns is sometimes what kills the indie authors is, you know, you can't predict who's going to buy what and put it somewhere and then decide they don't want it, whatever, that kind of thing. It's so it it definitely is um, it, it, a different game, but that's super exciting. And you've and, got this fan base now. Yeah, it's nice. I, I was really cute. So they, I, of course, I print up postcards and the cover art for the, the books are fantastic. And, so I, they let me leave my postcards by the register. And um, so I was sitting there signing, just sort of hanging out. And this kid came up and he, he could have been more than 20, like, and he was adorable. And he said, my brother needs me to pick up your book. He has not shut up about your book in weeks. And I was like, how, how did he, what, what? And um, if he hasn't read it, why did I was very confused. And so what it was is that they come to Barnes and Noble a lot. He had seen the postcard and he's a big fan of cowboy history. And wow. so this young, it's his younger brother. And he, he hadn't shut up about wanting to get it. And so uh, his brother came in and was like, saw that I was here and texted him and said, Hey, the author to that is here. <laughs> and he was like, you better pick up a book for me. I swear to God. <laughs> like, and so um, I signed it to him, Alex. Hello. If for some reason you find this podcast. Um, and, uh, and I let them know, I said, just let your brother know that I work here, you know, on Monday nights. And if you want to, if he buys the rest and wants them signed, I'm happy to sign them for him. But, um, but it was really cool to hear that some kid had been fixated on this book and then he got to get it. It was one of the last ones I sold that day before I had to shut down. So it was kind of a nice end to a day. I didn't even, I wasn't there long either. I was only there from like 10 to three. So it was a, it was a decent, yeah. That is very cool and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you had. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncie, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. So, what got you started doing conventions and stuff like that? John Hartness. <laughs> He's the best. I'm not even kidding. All right, let me back up. So um, I've known John since he was tall, skinny, with long hair. So we went to Winthrop University in theater together. I transferred into Winthrop for theater education um, in 1993. And he was in theater there as well, focusing mostly on lighting design and design in general, but mostly lighting work. 
and um, we graduated together. And so Tangent Silver is my pen name. My real last name has an H. And so Hartness and me, we were right next to each other during graduation. And um, so like I've known him since 1993. And he got published while I was still considering writing. And I guess we could back up and say that he's another probably catalyst to why I started writing seriously because I saw someone I know doing it and I was jealous. I was like, I want to do that. And I was like, well, then do that. Like, this is that it's up to you. It's in your hands. You either do it or you don't. And so, um, but he came to New York on a lighting thing he was doing uh, after he'd already been published for a little while. And um, he said, are you doing conventions? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start. I want to start doing that um, soon. Uh, and so he's like, well, you should really come to Heroes Con. Um, and so uh, I pitched in on a table with him and Stuart um, Jaffe to do a table at Heroes Con. And I only had the one book at the time uh, and it did okay. And, and I enjoyed it. And I mean, I'd gone to conventions before I lived in New York. I'd gone to I'd gone over to um, New York City Comic Con a couple times. I'd actually worked it a few times with uh, a friend of mine owns VampireFreaks.com, and they used oh. to have a store. And they used to have a store in New York, and so uh, they would have a huge booth, and I would help there. So I was used to conventions in general, anyway. Um, and so, uh, which is, you know, Jet Barrelson, by the way, great. That his store is fantastic. Like, it, there's so much that Vampire Freaks I can like. There's so many things about my life that wouldn't have happened without them. Um, so heads up. Um, but John, John's the one that was like, hey, you should do this. And so um, the year after, so I did not get a table for the first time the book came out, but I did the year later once I redid them. And John actually joined me for that con. And that is the con where I met Faith Hunter. Oh. And, and Faith Hunter just happened to be there. I don't think she, I don't know if she ever went again. She, she does not care for that convention it's a lot of walking that that until the new subway got built that takes you kind of right there now you had to walk from, it it was horrible um and so uh but yeah like it was john who was like you should come do a convention that's and, awesome yeah and i got lucky enough to get involved in dragon con because i finally did con carolinas and carol malcolm was in the audience of a panel i did on vampires and she came up and said, hey, are you going to be at Dragon Con? And I said, yeah, uh, I'm not an attending professional, but I'll be there. Um, you know, I'm selling books and thing at, at Cheryl's tables. And, and she ended up putting me on some panels. And so um, that that was kind of how that all started. That is very cool. And, you know, people don't realize as authors the value of panels and being on panels. So um, Jen and I had our first year at Dragon Con as attending professionals val um our sort of other partner in crime to the three musketeers i guess um that was her second year jen would have been two years had she decided not to get covid the first year oh, so uh, i decided that that was a decision she made by herself <laughs> and worst yeah not affected by the world at all and then this oh. last year i got covid from dragon con mm -hmm. but i did not and that was my my first run-in with the the Rona. Was it Dragon Con? I got that shit this year, right as I was moving. I got it from Albuquerque Comic Con. Yeah, I, got, I had it three times. So oh, 
I have a subscription plan with my wonderful immune system. But that was the second time I had it. Was yeah. Dragon Kong. But we got to go this past year, and we're uh, we're going again this year. And yeah, definitely panels are are a great time because you get to meet really interesting people and have really really interesting conversations. Yeah, and it was funny because for Dragon Con, I originally started just selling books, and I had like a, a panel or two. Um, but because no one's going to know who you are unless you make like people have asked me before, how did you end up on all these different panels? And I'm like, I volunteer. <laughs> I I literally reached out and said, Hey, Carol, who's in charge of this track? Mm-hmm. Do you have their contact information? Hey, so and so, this is my website. Here's what I do. My background's in theater and speaking in public, and I do panels and I write. Would you like me on a panel? I'm happy to, if you don't have room for me, I get it. But if you have room for me, I'd love to join you for one so you can see if I fit your, you know, what you guys uh, you know, like in here. I mean, I remember one year I sat down with Q and just, inter- he interviewed me at the end of con to see if whether or not they wanted to bring me into the alternate history track. So, um, and I hadn't even written all of Billy yet. I had just had a short story of it coming out. So, um, so yeah, and now it's one of, I do a bunch of panels for them. Um, so it, it's just, it's about meeting people. And I eventually was doing so many panels. I had to like back out of selling books, um, at America's Mart because <laughs> I couldn't keep running back keep and running forth. Back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sort of said, you know what do, I mean, I, cause I would sell a thousand dollars worth of books in a weekend easy, but I was like, but I meet more people and I make more contacts and more people see who I am if I do panels. And so I, I lean more in that direction. And I think that is an important part in weighing out where what is worth more. You know what I mean? Because in a yeah. panel room, you can have 20, 30, 40, 150 people, you know, sitting in front of you. That is way bigger than you're necessarily going to just sell instantly. And especially if you're smart enough to have postcards and business cards and things like that. It was very funny because when I was doing the um, panels and stuff, certain people come and they had their, like, you bring it and you're like, hey, I have cards up here if you want to grab them or QR code, whatever you want to do there. And um, the amount of people I was sitting next to that didn't, and I'm like, you guys got to up your shameless self-promotion game. Oh, you have to. You have to. In fact, would you guys like to be the first people to know of something I'm doing new for DragonCon? Yeah. Yes. All right. So, you know, you buy those little arm, you can, those little plastic army men that have the flat bottom and they sit up. So, um, I am buying the version of that that is cowboys. Okay. Um, the ones that I have currently in my Amazon in basket are like a bright, they're a blue color. So, they'll be seen easily. So, what's going to happen is that I will super glue that to a business card that says on it, around it, when you find it, it says, Congratulations, you're a winner. Flip over and you flip it over and says, you have won a free short story from Tamsin Silver. You can find her schedule on the app, show up at a panel, present this and get a free, get a free novella of three short stories printed. And I'm going to have enough with me and I will take them to panels and I will, it's called Weird of the West. Um, I don't, I only have, they're real small. They're three shorts. It's the original short story. That Billy the Kid series came from, and then two others that fit in the world. 
And so um, I'm going to have those to give to people who find Billy. This is going to be like, you found Billy the kid. You can turn this in for a free book. So, um, so yeah, and I'm going to get there on Thursday because I'm judging the costume contest for page to stage this year instead of emceeing it. Thank you, Seska, for upgrading me. <laughs> um, and so uh, I will be there early. And so I will be walking around all five hotels and I'll be placing Billy in place, like just tucking him around all over the place, probably 20 of them. So I'm going to get I, 20 books away. I love that. That's a great idea. Yep. And so and when they get the book, of course, it's going to have the bookmark to the whole series with the QR code and my business card and everything. So that way, you know, even if they just run up and go, I found him and you're like, great. And he's like, I can't stay for the panel. That's fine. Here's the book. It's got all that information inside. So, no, um, so that is a great idea. I am going to do um, badge flags. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like the, um, I, I did some, are you talking about like uh, the sticker, like, ribbons yep. so ribbons. i have one ribbons. Yeah. i did ribbons for yeah, i did ribbons for jordan con and one of them i actually have them stuck here to my computer i'll pull it off one of them is for they're both for my two best-selling series one's for of course for billy and it's regulators ride then it has my website on it because <laughs> i'm not printing anything without promotion yeah it. Uh, my other best-selling book is a book called Mark of the Necromancer. It's a standalone um, fantasy, urban fantasy mystery novel. And um, one of people's favorite lines from it is there is a, the, uh, basically the medical examiner is a werewolf and he's an asshole. And so um, he tries to do something. She kicks him and she's like, don't be a dick, doc. And so I have, don't be a dick, doc, ribbons. <laughs> That so, is awesome. Yeah, it was funny was at the convention though, like people would be walking around with their kids and the kids are wanting to grab ribbons and they'd go to grab it and mom would be like, not that one. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not suitable for those under the age of 18. You yeah. know? I mean, they say it anyway. I don't know what mom thinks, but you know, hey. So yeah, yeah. but you know, exactly. Yeah. Um, Jen, go ahead. I've been monopolizing. Ask questions. Okay, so out of all of your series, you are if muted, someone love. is is new, oh, uh, which one which one should they jump into? Like, what's your what's your favorite baby? If it depends on what they like, okay. if they are if they are really urban fantasy people and they love magic and all kinds of stuff. Um, I would say, and they don't, and they usually don't want to get wrapped into a series right away of any kind. They just want to see if they like you. I'd say Mark the Necromancer. Um, it is, it's a, it's a thicker book. It was supposed to be a short story. We all see that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> it just keeps going. I understand. It just keeps completely. going. Um, but it's a, it's a horror comedy, urban fantasy. Like it's, it was supposed to be a comedic short story. I killed the, I killed the main character on page one because she deserves it. And she wakes up in a hotel in New York City with some guy playing solitaire in the bed next door. And she's like, what the hell's going on? And so, and we take off from there, really. And it's it's really a really great story about a girl figuring out who she was, who she should be, and how to reinvent herself against who she used to be when she wasn't 
really in control of that. That's all I'll say about it. But um, so I think that would be if you're an urban fantasy person, you like strong female heroes, uh, Sabrina is that. And it's a standalone, so you don't feel like you're getting roped into a lot of stuff. Um, but if someone is really into historical, Billy the Kid's the way to go. I mean, it is a, I have specifically written this to be a epic cinematic type adventure. Like I've written it very cinematically. Uh, my background's in theater education. Like, I don't know if I have a choice, but to write that way. But um, I like, I made conscious choices to make sure that this really, because it's written in first person from Billy's point of view, you get to be, you get to be right there in the action and learn all the information, be part of history. And you get to just kind of explore that adventure and be part of it, right? And so um, I think that if you like historical, then that's the way to go. I've had people be like, oh, I like historical, but I don't like them werewolves and those vampires. And I'm like, then this book is not for you. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things, like if you like fantasy in your history, great, then, then that's going to be your bag, baby. But if you really don't, if the idea of, of hitting werewolves in your story of history makes you want to cry, don't do it. Please don't do it because then you'll review it badly. I don't really, yeah, please don't. Yeah, that's the person who reads a romance and then is shocked by kissing like what what did you think you were reading right now <laughs> like, oh my god there's sex in this book right um, how could they, how could naked. they? i was talking yeah. about that yesterday i'm like you know one of the that was one of the funniest reviews there's too much kissing there are naked people on the cover of this book what did you think <laughs> what did you think was gonna happen like well what, what did you think you bought like come on yeah, and it's it's called I forget what it's it, some uh sleeping with Sasquatch. Oh, is that what it was? How oh, did that one? People? Oh, yeah, come on. <laughs> what do you um, think? What do you what do you think those words meant, my friend who bought the book? <laughs> Shock. Anyway, it's wow. craziness. I, I do have a question. If do we yeah. still have time? Do I have time for one more? No, of course you. Oh my God, Jen, <laughs> you've done this with me for almost five years. I it know. is painful. Um, do uh, we haven't talked about writing process? So, like, how do you begin? Do you get a story idea? Do you get a character? Like, what walk us through? Like, my theater background really plays a big part in that. Um, we start with character. Okay. Everything, everything is everything revolves around who these people are and why this story needs to be told. Right. Like, so my my focus off like with Billy, I learned about the about Tunstall's murder. And how Billy was there for that and why he was invested and what that meant and why the murder happened and how we never learned about this in school. And it was kind of one of the first monopoly situations in the West. And I was fascinated. And so for me, it just comes down to, to the character. Like I want to, if I don't want to tell their story, then I shouldn't be writing it. Um, from there, um, if I'm trying to tell their story, if it's historical, then I obviously already have kind of that blanket um of what i'm doing if it's urban fantasy i get to play with whatever i want i often write stories that take place in new york city a lot of my urban fantasy is in new york city and the east coast because i was living there at the time um even if i wrote something new today it probably would still be there i mean i lived there 16 years um and i don't know if i could get myself to write urban fantasy out in the west it might, i don't know if that would go here as well um but uh for me, and the big question everybody always has, are you a planner 
Are you a pantser? Do you do an outline? I don't do a fucking outline. Cheers to that fucking outline. I can't. We've dropped our first F-bomb. And uh, because I am that far through. There you go. And so, and it's not that I think that it's bad. Like, I wish I could. Right. I, I, I don't. But my creative head doesn't work that way. And I tend to write linearly which is really weird. Like I'll write beginning to end specifically with my urban fantasy, unless there's a scene that won't stop leaving me. It won't leave me alone. And then I'll write it, set it aside, label it. Um, For the untold legend series, I did write some historical scenes out of, out of order because I really wanted to work on that scene. And so I would write it, I'd label it and shove it in a folder. Um, But um, I'm a pantser. And I, the only thing I guess I did a little differently in historical fantasy is I created a calendar. Um, I had two calendars and one was for fantasy and one was for fact. And I wrote all the historical stuff on the fact one. And then I used the fantasy and I kept track so that basically I'm looking at them and I'm going, I can't decide that Billy goes off on a weekend trip with Brewer to go save him from blah, blah, blah. If at that time, we all historically know that he was in a different county doing something specific that a bunch of Billy the Kid fans know. Because in case you don't already know this, Billy the Kid fans are a bit rabid and they know their facts. And so that's the other reason why I chose to do probably secret history is because I, no one ever writes the real history for Billy. They take the idea of him. Younger. I, and I was like, well, hey, then I think I can justify all these interviews I do by telling him, hey, I'm going to try and keep this as exact as I can, mm-hmm. which of course is in also insanity. Um, but it turned out okay and I got lucky. But, um, but yeah, so I kept, I did that. I created two different calendars to make sure I didn't step on actual things. I also made sure that after being involved in the Billy the Kid like world, as long as I have been knowing people who do, who live in Lincoln and everything, I know what historical events they really enjoy and they talk about and they debate. And so I made sure that if it was a popular item that it's included in the book. Um, There's one that no one ever does that everybody loves to talk about and they don't ever it it's just shows how smart Billy is and it's when he kills Joe Grant. And um, and so it's in book three. I mean, like, did it need to be there? No, no, it didn't need to be there. It didn't move plot in any particular way other than it was character building. It showed, yeah. it showed how Billy had grown in the idea of understanding things. It's a, It's such a smart move that he pulls off there. Like, it's just, and what's funny is, of course, he's buried right near Joe. <laughs> if you take a picture of Joe Grant's tombstone, which, by the way, is hand etched, uh, in the distance behind it is Billy's grave with Folliard and um, and I'm blanking. I'm so sorry on him. Forgive me, Charlie. I think that's yeah. <laughs> they're all they're all buried together, and they're in fence. Like Billy was in jail, and he's still in jail. His his two they they are in a. They are in a chain link fence because people kept taking chips yeah. from the big tombstone. Mm-hmm. People you. tend to take the entire tombstones too of certain things. Jim Morrison. Yep. Well, well, Billy actually has his own smaller tombstone at his feet. 
Um, and that's been stolen twice. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. Um, for the last question, what is your favorite fan interaction ever? And we're all like, dun, 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 dun. Um, I think that my favorite, I think one of my favorite fan interactions ever was I had been having a really hard day and it was Monday. So I was working my double. I was going into, I work for a hospital during the day and I went into Barnes and Noble in the evening. And I went in and I just clocked in and I walked into customer service because I was just going to sign some books and whatever because some of my books were in. And there was a girl standing there holding a copy of the second book, The Torment of Richard Brewer. And she was like this. <laughs> and she was talking to my manager who didn't know I was behind him. And she's like, so um, I just, when is the third book out? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, hey. And he was like, perfect timing. This one could tell you more. And so I stepped up and I said, my understanding from the publisher is that the book will be out in September. Um, like I was like, it should be the fall. We're hoping for September, da, 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 da. I said, at least that's what my publisher told me. And I waited to see if what I said. And all of a sudden her little eyes went. And I said, <laughs> and I nodded and I said, they're mine. And I said, I work here one day a week for discount and fun. And these people are wonderful here. And she was just so excited and I just had a shit day and she just was so excited to talk. She wanted to talk about the second book and she was so excited about the third book. And uh, so that that's probably the top one though. Though this past Monday, a guy bought my book after he was at the register and realized I was the author of it and he was interested and they left and came back because he had two little kids and they wanted a picture with me. Oh, oh, and it. I was just like, what? Like, look, <laughs> these kids weren't going to be reading the book. The dad was, but they were just so excited that they met an author and they came and they wanted a picture. And I took a picture with them and they left and they were so elated that I was just like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not crying. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm having all the feelings. All I'm having once. lots of feelings right now. So I, I know that's two examples, but the one was literally two days ago. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. What is your favorite book of all time? That's rude. I uh, ask every author that, so I've asked 400 people that, so you, eh. Rude. So rude. Um, I'll go back to my childhood because you choose what got you interested in writing um, and in fantasy. For me, um, my father used to read to me and he'd do all the voices. Um, and I made him read this book to me more than once. So I'm going to say The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay. Very cool. What about your least favorite? <laughs> yeah, we'll I hate these. You mean the book I threw across the room and never finished? How about that yeah, one? That yeah. One. Last book of the, of the Divergent series. Oh my God, me too. I threw that book across the room. That is the room. That is the I book. Got, yep, I, I got done. halfway through. Yeah. 
I got halfway through and said, I, I can't tell when she's writing from four or from Tris. What the fuck is this? Why is she even doing this? And then all of a sudden I went, oh shit. And I went like, and I did the thing where I flipped to the end and went, fuck you. And I tossed it. Yeah. That's yep, I tossed it. I was like, I was like, no, no, and no. So no. yeah, nope, that that is my most, but a close second is the last book of the um Hunger Games series. Oh. See, I got I enjoy I can't, that I don't. The end of that book is a lot of tell, not show. Yes, for sure. And what they needed to do is they needed to give her two books for that. They needed to make it a four part so she could have done it justice. But to be told, and then Pete and Peta and I made things better. I'm like that, that, and I got out and they'd had the trial and I'm like, nah, 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 nah. so there we go. I gave you two. Sorry, mother. No, it's fine. It's fine. I didn't, whiskey. I didn't, I didn't read that series. Um, uh, now I'm glad I didn't because then I, <laughs> I heard it was so, so see, I broke my rule because see, I blame Ari Salvatore who killed a main character very early on in a book and since then I always look at the back of a book to make sure that the character lives because if they don't then I don't want to read it and I didn't do that for Divergent because I was like it's YA it's going to be fine everything's going to work out because that's the kind of book it is and I got halfway through and I was like I am done done with this story I don't even care and I threw it across yep. the room and I have, yeah there was oh. no justification whatsoever for the choice made no so yeah no, I remember okay. I, I heard there was some interview with the author who was like, I'm so proud of Tris. I'm like, no, 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 it was, it was pointless. Like pointless. I, yep. 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 Very angry. We oh. could, we, Jen and I could bitch about this. all yes. day. I, <laughs> see I see that. I see that. We're the literary briefs episode bitching about <laughs> Divergent. Half an hour straight. It started oh. so good, but okay. Okay, so what about um your favorite book to TV show or movie where you thought they did a really good job? Oh shoot. Um bugger. Um you know, I I really love what they've done with Umbrella Academy. And I know that's more of a graphic novel to TV show. No, it's fine. Um, Somebody said Sandman the other day. Jen wasn't on there. She would have yeah. been excited. You weren't on. But Shut up. Um, I, I really like, I, I really enjoy all the people who work on that show. And my background's in theater and film. And um, and I just find that the actors there are just doing quality work. The writing is well done. And that there's there's always, you're engaged, right? You're always engaged. You, you The characters are solid. The actors really understand what they're doing. And, um, and it's filmed beautifully and they care about character. And that is key for me, um, as we've discussed. Um, I mean, you come from a theater background, like that's your ideas, you know, understanding character, understanding internal dialogue, uh, motivation. And so I feel like they do a really beautiful job with that series in particular. Very cool. Now the reverse, where did they do an absolutely terrible job? goodness i don't i can't think of one i mean I'm, I'm sure there is one but i've also had two fingers full of whiskey 
Um, yeah. <laughs> we do that on purpose because then you give us Rude. The to these questions. Rude. Um, gosh. Um, you know, interestingly enough, the movie version of Lestat, of Interview with a Vampire, was good, but in comparison to the TV show version that is currently out, it doesn't even hold a candle. It's so good. Like, it, it, it doesn't touch it. Um, no, no, they do have the opportunity, I have to say, not, uh, don't get me wrong. I actually, um, when Anne Rice passed away, I re-listened to Interview with the Vampire um, audiobook. And God, Louis fucking whiny. Oh, he really the, is. That's the point, though. Yeah, yeah no, getting through that book, reading it, it is painful. Yeah, no, it's that painful. is my favorite of that. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but um, because um, I and then I watched the TV show, not thrilled with Claudia, but I loved what they did with it. But I have to say, going back and looking at um what they did with that movie initially, regardless of how you feel about Tom Cruise. They actually did a pretty good job of it kind did. of telling the story. Yeah. And no. considering you can't fit everything into the, the book, I love what they've done with the TV show, though. Agreed. But the TV show is also not the original story. Yeah. It's pieces of it. So true. I, I agree with you, though, on that. Um, and it's, you know, I was I, I was it's also a different so time. If you think about it, like could you have shown the true relationship between Lestat and Louis back? No, 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 not at all. No. No, no, but I'm telling you to see that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Um, but, you know, I just realized why I think I can't think of one. Because it's still, hmm, let's, let's, let's find the best way to put this. It may not be the book and that is okay. The idea is to go into it and understanding that and understanding that this is going to be a separate entity in and of itself. And as someone who comes from that kind of background and understands that, I don't think I've ever left anything and gone, well, that was utter shite uh, compared to the book. I, I, I've always been like, well, that was, you know, maybe it wasn't as good as, but it never is anyway. So I think that the the idea that one just they didn't hit the mark, um, they I don't know if they really I I really still enjoyed a lot of them. Um, the one thing I wish the Harry Potter movies had done though is they missed certain things from the books that I wish we'd had. Well, don't so, worry. This um, HBO series or whatever it is that is ten years worth of already purchased episodes. You've heard about this, right? I've heard, I've seen, I've seen these interviews where people are like, so yeah, they're doing more Harry Potter. Great. Are they doing like this or this? I'm like, no, they're retelling the same thing as the they're movie. doing. They literally have 10 seasons purchased to retell those seven books. Based on, so all so they'll just be two different versions of the story, which is also interesting. Like, I'm curious to see. Which what is interesting. I mean, okay. Like for instance, Pride and Prejudice. So Pride and Prejudice, if you are in the mood for some Pride and Prejudice, you can watch the, the PBS version of it or BBC version, whatever it was, um, mm -hmm. where it's um, tons of episodes where you just got to have 
it in you to listen to her mom bitch because it is excessive um but uh or if you really want to get that you want that hit but you don't want to spend more than two two and a half hours you can watch the movie version so i can i can see why it's see i'm doing it again i can see why this is justifiable um it's art it's it's people doing what they love it's actors getting work it is stories it's great, being but for instance, yeah. The Curse of Billy the Kid, how about we make that into a fucking movie or a TV show instead of remaking everything else into a TV show? Like, right? I don't get me wrong. It, I know they'll do a thing with it, but when I hear things like they spend $23 million an episode on the Rings of Power, and I go, <laughs> Different <"How> many... story. <laughs> Calm down, Jen. I need you to ease down. PhD in English literature. Stop grinding metal. Ease down. Um, but the premise, like, I just go, guys, there are so many authors, even just that I've interviewed alone on my podcast, take any of their books and make it into something because there oh, are yeah. so much. And it's kind of like, to me, the publishing industry, I'm going to be philosophical here for a moment. I agree with you. One of the, pre, one of our co-hosts said, you know, you should treat the movie versions like fan fiction. Because a lot of times that's what it is. Like they've taken what they want to. Sometimes they completely butcher the entire thing, Silver Linings Playbook, that from what the actual fucking story was, right? Yeah. Regardless of what part of it. Ugh. Anyway, Robert De Niro's character doesn't talk in the entire fucking book. Don't get me started. But at the same time, there's so much work out there. Like the publishing world goes, here, you know, Tamsin, we need you to fit in this box. So you're not allowed to do historical fantasy. So you either have to do historical fiction or you have to do fantasy, but you don't get to do this and you can't do it around Billy the Kid because that's what the traditional big boys would say. Like they would not be on board with what you've done, right? Right. Correct. And all of us that are small, mid-sized publishers, some of us are technically publishing more than the large ones are, right? Um mm -hmm that are doing these books are going, hey, we don't have to do it this way anymore. The film and fucking television industry needs to catch up. Like, Thank I you. don't get how they cannot really? see all these books that are out there, regardless of how they're published and find stories and create things because we don't have to keep being fed the same fucking story over Amen, and over Breach. again. Yes. Yeah, and I know there's actually a woman who um, who I met at Albuquerque Comic Con who actually asked if she could, when she bought my book, she was, can I pitch this to some people? Because I think this would make it great. I'm like, good luck. They're not going to do it, but you can feel free. <laughs> you can feel free to try. And she's not had much luck. Um, but um, but yeah, it would be amazing. Um, I also could see them doing the, my stuff as a video game. It would work really well. You get to be Billy the Kid. You get to take down the Santa Fe ring. You get to search for clues and who killed Cricket Coogler. Like it's, it, it would be fantastically fun. Um, or in a graphic novel, I would, I would possibly give up my left arm, not my right, my left, because I am right-handed. Um, I would give my left arm, possibly, if someone would come up to me and go, hey, I'd like to work with you and draw and make this a graphic novel. Yeah. So anyone listening? If you, I, I am just saying, if I was you, you're going to Dragon Con. Right? Go to the artist thing, find an artist that you like up in the Dragon Con thing, and go. 
I here's my book. I want you to do the graphic novel with me. Yep. And that's what I'd love to do. I would love to do a graphic novel of it um, more than anything. Um, I think that that would actually be a key way of eventually getting it into the hands of someone to do it as a, as a TV show or movie. The minute they can see it, they can actually see, because a graphic novel is very similar to previs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it would be, it would be fantastic to do. I mean, there's, there's, right. So it would be, yeah, it would be fantastic to play with that. Um, you know, it's interesting because so in the third book, which is the newest release, of course, that was in September. Um, the Murder of Craig Kugler is the last book in the installment of this trilogy. And it revolves around, of course, a girl that he meets in book two who is killed. Um, it's historically based. And um, her family reached out to me. I got a message on Facebook from a woman in Florida. And she just said, hey, are you the author of this? And I'm like, I was like, uh, yeah. She's like, well, I'm her niece. And so she is the daughter of the older sister of Cricket. And um, we had a really fantastic online conversation, uh, texting back and forth. And she actually still has all the original, uh, like actual articles from the paper. Um, and she said, if you ever come visit, I'll show them to you. I was like, oh, I'd love to see them. Um, but it is, it was great to hear from her that I'd gotten the history correct and that the family that she wanted to thank me for not painting this young lady as a whore because the men in the time kept trying to call her that to discredit her of course shocking so surprising um like they've never done that anymore they, they just like like they still don't um yeah, and so was, um, say, was that last week was that last week right so um but yeah no I cried for like 30 minutes after I chatted with this woman because that's what, if you're writing this kind of stuff and people are like, oh, you know, the, the research, is, it matters. It truly does matter. So yeah, so getting a chance to see that on the screen and representing these people correctly would mean the world, but we'll see, maybe someday. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, what is a, a good weird food combination that you like to eat? Oh my God. Uh, weird food combination. So I like sweet and salt, but everybody likes that. Um, I think that I like to snack on pretzel thins and cream cheese, which is an unusual choice, probably. Um, um, other than that, I will put any kind of, I'll throw whatever I have into mac and cheese to justify it being healthier in, a, in an actual meal. I love that. I'm I'm a big oh, fan yeah. of adding stuff to mac and cheese. And I'm like, no, this is just cowboy mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's totally look, there's protein in it now. It's fine. It's totally look, fine. I think I think mushrooms count as a veggie. They do. Totally. They do. <laughs> Technically. Check. Um, right. Um, but no, I think I'm kind of boring when it comes to putting things together that are unusual. That's okay. Um, what about uh, what if you could travel to n any literary world, where would you want to go? Um, any literary world, Narnia, which of course brings us full circle, right? Um, I would I would love to go through the wardrobe and step into that and meet Mr. Tumnus and. 
get to experience being one of the four Pevensey children, like without question. And in case anyone's curious, I'm totally Lucy. Like with without, mm-mm. <laughs> like if you are like, who do you see yourself in that? Which one do you, oh yeah, no, that's, I never, it was never a question of, are you Susan? I'm not freaking Susan. Um, so I'm totally, uh, I'm totally Lucy. And that would be, I would love this to, because come on, who doesn't want to meet Aslan? Like, right. Like the yeah. first time I saw when they did the movie, I cried. Like I won't literally the first time we see him, I just, bleh, bleh, I was a mess. <laughs> so yeah, we won't talk about how it was at the stone table for me. We won't. Um, so, you know, and I actually have, if you read Mark of the Necromancer, there is a nod in the final battle to that scene. You just have to know, you just have to know or you wouldn't catch it probably. So, but there is a complete and utter nod to the stone table scene with Aslan uh, in the end of that series, end of that book. Um, so yeah, so that would be, I'd wanna go to Narnia. Come on, who doesn't wanna hang out with animals that talk and go to Mr. Beaver's place? Come on. <laughs> Tolkien. Come on. <laughs> Talking animals. Jen, be nice. Um, okay, Talking Jen, animals. ask some questions. Um. When it comes to books, paper, or screen, do you have a preference? Where are you on this? Audio. I'm audio. High five. It's perfect. High five. So I don't have time. High five. So it happened during the pandemic. Um, I was definitely a mix of both. I, as you can see, I have all kinds of paperbacks and books and research. If it's research books, paperback without question, because I'm marking those books, like no one ever is going to own this, but me. Um, and, but if it is anything other than my history, like the stuff I'm studying for the next series I'm working on or whatever, um, then it's audio. And that happened. I was supporting the emergency department through the pandemic. And so oh. I was in a, yeah, no, I started the job and I was only six months in when it happened. And so I was still learning the position. It was stressful. And, um, let me say though, all the ER docs and APCs that I supported, um, I love those people. We, we made it through a pandemic together. I still hang out with them when I can. Um, I love those people with, with all of my heart. And, um, and so, uh, it, but it was really stressful. And so what I would do at the end of the day is I would log off and lay down and I would listen to books, audiobooks. And since I grew up with my dad reading to me, it was a, uh, a cathartic kind of healing kind of way for me to, plus, you know, staring at a computer screen all day, looking at tiny print, my eyes were exhausted. Uh, I was emotionally tired. I was physically tired. My eyes hurt. Um, and so audiobooks are where I ended up landing. And we won't talk about how many I currently have. Um, I logged in on my mom's phone and was like, if you ever want an audiobook, here you go. And she looked down and went, Are you kidding me? I'm like, <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, so we'll blame my father. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, first book crush. Character crush. Johnny Tremaine. Oh, okay. I read, and again, if we would look at our history and realize things 
that we should have been writing historical fiction early enough. Uh, what is Johnny Tremaine? It is historical fiction. And I loved that book. And I never found its equal. And now I'm writing in that kind of genre. And how I didn't realize it until I did it, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I had the biggest crush on Johnny Tremaine, which was in junior high. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be, that's the first one I can think of. There's more sense than obviously. Uh, but um, like I discovered um, the Vampire Diaries back before lj smith with the books yes yeah, i love lj smith stuff what happened that. to her like she just i don't know in the middle of a she series writing, she was writing that whole soul series and i was so into it and i was like we're so close to the end now and then it just yeah. disappeared and, and just then they started re-releasing them in different things and i feel like yeah. it's a relative or whatever right so. so i read i read vampire diaries early on and i loved stefan like i just loved him of course with the tv show I'd give my soul for Damon, yes. but that's a whole not, but that's because the TV show is a little different. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, so yeah. But yeah, my first ever book crush would have been Johnny Tremaine. Um, when you're writing, do you listen to music, words, no words, silence? Um, I prefer to listen to music. Um, often I listen to soundtrack music, like Two Steps from Hell and um, stuff in that genre kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um i like Epic to listen music. to that because there's no words and i can really focus on and there's actually i'll be listening to music when i used to ride the subway i would listen and certain songs would play and i'd see that scene mm -hmm. i'd see a scene in my head and i'd be like and then it would get stuck and i'd have to write it and i'd listen to that song on repeat to get it done um and so um but i i prefer to listen sometimes i write and it's quiet it's rare it's really rare um uh, you know the ADD needs more things going on so uh but it is it is very much it's very much needed I prefer to have that music in the background no matter what it is I have an answer for what happened to LJ Smith oh no what happened so apparently her brother-in-law and sister got diagnosed with some pretty um terminal illnesses so she took time but she had gotten fired from writing the novels I don't know how you can get fired, but I'm guessing that means had that, so many. that her publisher was done with her. There's a whole video on it that you can look up if you look up what happened to LJ Smith. But apparently then she was diagnosed with granulomatosis with polyangitis, which I do not speak medical and that kept her I do speak medical and I have no idea what that is. It apparently kept her hospitalized on a ventilator for weeks and she suffered severe damage to her kidneys, heart, liver, and gallbladder. Oh, so that would explain why she's not currently writing. Yeah. So yes, I have not I have not experienced anything that traumatic and I'm having a hard time getting sitting my ass down and getting words on paper. Though yeah. I am leaving for England in less than a month for research for the next series. I am leaving for Ireland and Scotland in August for drinking with drinking. And I'll probably find some authors while I'm there to justify. Oh, that's fantastic. Ireland is my next spot to go. But this time it's London, uh, East Sussex. We're going to be traveling all over the lower part of, of England. 
uh, when she asked me, so what did my friend ask me when I was staying with her? She goes, she goes, well, so what do you want to see when you're here? And I was like, well, we're already going to be going into London a few times to do my research for Jack the Ripper stuff. Um, I said, so when we're not doing that, can we just go see little towns and shop and eat their food, and take pictures of their graveyards and shit? So that sounds um, wonderful, right? So we're going to go to Rye and we're going to go to Hastings and we're going to go, you know, um, but I'm also going to Paris for four days and I'm going to Brussels for two. Okay. So, if you're going to all those cemeteries, take protection with you and don't bring them home. And don't bring them home. Oh yeah, right? Because I did that only once. So hey. <laughs> That's my rule. I get out of the car. I'm like, none of you are coming home with me. Just let me tell you that. Yep. I don't think I had a choice on, on the ones that followed me back once. So uh, people are like, man, this Billy and Brewer, they, these, these characters, it's like, you know, them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Mm, yeah yep uh-huh sure do long story oh well we will have to have that another time okay yes shameless self-promotion time where do people find you on social media and your books they can find me at tamsonsilver.com um and i also like to hang around on facebook you can find me under tamson silver and if you're more wanting to follow book stuff you can find uh the book page there under curse of billy the kid um, and you'll know you're in the right place because it'll look like that. Um, and uh, I, I sometimes frequent Twitter and Instagram, but mama has a day job. So she only has time for one thing. And so it tends to be Facebook because I'm old. I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. Absolutely. Hey guys, this has been Drinking With Authors, The Literary Briefs, and I remember where I am, so go team. Please do not forget to like, subscribe, review, hit the buttons, we love it. My name's Erica Lance, my co-host has been the amazing Jen Paquette, our guest has been Tamsin Silver, and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>